You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimization, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and his associated website, the EV Focus, the Driven and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual is ITK Principal David Leach. David, I trust you are well and not wishing that you were over in Dubai for the climate change conference. Uh, I rarely wish to be in Dubai, although I'm sure it's a fascinating spot, uh, Giles. And uh, as usual, uh, I'm well. I trust our listeners are well. And of course, as usual, it's been an interesting week. And we've got a very interesting interview as well, haven't we? Look, we have, yes. Look, there's lots to discuss later on in this podcast. Um, most notably, I guess, the um, the climate statement that came out um, on this um, on the same day as the, uh, as the Dubai Climate Change Conference starts with uh, 100,000 people um, in this massive um, expo area. We've also had the first investment by the State Energy Corporation in Victoria, um, one of Australia's biggest batteries, which is pretty interesting, and we'll be talking more about that. The surprise resignation of one of Australia's leading state energy ministers, uh, Bill Johnson. We'll be talking about that, plus having a look at the Origin Energy bid and what's happening there. But first, uh, one of the interesting pieces of news that came out in the last week or so was the um, announcement by Macquarie to create another specialist uh, renewable energy firm. It's already got offshore wind, and it's got battery storage, and now it's got an onshore energy firm in Australia called um, Alder. And David and I caught up earlier today with the Alder boss, uh, Chad Hymas, and also Lachlan Creswell from Macquarie's Green Investment Corporation. Let's have a listen. So I'd like to... Um... Welcome, Lachlan Creswell, the uh, head of the Green Investment Macquarie's Green Investment Corporation um, Group in in Australia, New Zealand. Um, thanks for joining this podcast, Lachlan. Thanks, Charles. Good to be here. And Chad Limas, the CEO of Order Energy. How, um, thanks for joining us, Chad. Yeah, thanks, Charles, and nice to be here with you and David. Yeah, well, look, um, a new company is born from Macquarie. Um, we're kind of getting used to this. Um, I guess my first question is to you, Chad, about um, what is Orla um, going to be trying to do? And, and, and then I guess my question probably to, to Lachlan is to why this silo approach? Because you guys have also created Corio, which is focused on offshore wind. You've created Ecu Energy, which is focused on battery storage. Um, so um, there's two questions for two different people. Chad, you better go first and to tell us a little bit about Orla. Yeah, thanks, Giles. Uh, yeah, just just first up, super excited to be uh, CEO of this new platform and uh, be here with Lachlan today. Um, All our energy uh, we've created will operate in Australia and New Zealand. It'll essentially develop, build, own and operate over the long term onshore renewables, uh, wind, solar and integrated batteries in those two markets. So um, we sort of spent the last six, seven months prior to launching, coming on board, building a really capable team. Um, and we've developed skills in, in sort of development, sort of commercialization, operations, construction, um, et cetera. So really exciting. Um, with the, the other part of that, uh, Giles, is we, we've sort of seen the business with uh, nine projects, which we can talk a little bit about later. But um, 
yeah, it's nice to have a startup with projects that have been seeded in by Macquarie Asset Management Green Investment. Um, and I should just quick myself there too. I think I've called you Limus, which is actually Highness. So it's like, very sorry, Chad, but um, got it right now. Um, Lachlan, over to you. Why this? Um, why this silo approach, if I could call it that way? Yeah, it's certainly not how we would describe it internally. The I, I think what we've we've found as we've sort of established a series of platforms is uh, the ha- having the right technical capability. Um, management focus, business plan, and um, capital to support particular opportunities or um, sectors within the, the energy transition has been has been a sort of very powerful enabler of uh, of those teams to to sort of go out and uh, really dig into that space and uh, and, and build out businesses that are. Um, that, that are specialists that uh, that do develop um, expertise that they can apply across multiple projects or in some instances multiple uh, multiple geographies and so um, we found for instance with um, with with Corio um, having given the scale of the projects the um, the, the fact that we've uh, we, we've developed expertise in in multiple locations being able to I guess draw on that capability and, and bring um, that expertise into new markets has been very powerful um, similar story with uh, with EQ having a battery specialist obviously utility scale development particularly onshore is is very much a local local activity and it's no accident that we have ended up with with num- a number of different um, portfolio or platform businesses uh, around in, in certain geographies around the world that are that are focused on this with teams that have I, I guess got those um, relationships and knowledge of the, whether it's the on the ground um, planning and permitting issues or um, the, uh, the the sort of relationships with uh, all, all the stakeholders across the um, uh, across the, the development landscape. Yeah. Chad, if I can go back to you and just maybe talk about the projects. I mean, basically, how much capital do you have deployed or ready to deploy um, for, for what sort of, you know, what sort of projects um, that you've got? I mean, you, so far on your website and in your media release from last week, you talk about the Boulder Creek Wind Farm, um, which I think is in Queensland, if I remember rightly. And you talk about quite a large potential portfolio in Western Australia. And probably later on, I'd like to dig into why Western Australia is suddenly very exciting. Um, but um, so tell me, I mean, how much capital and can you tell us about Boulder Creek and when that might get going? And can you identify any of the other projects that you um, that you have in your pipeline? Yeah, certainly, Giles. And, and maybe I'll focus on the projects here. You're right, there is nine seed assets going in. Um, Boulder Creek being the one we should expect to be in construction in 2024. Um, it's sort of circa 40 kilometres out of Rockhampton, so it is in Queensland. Uh, we, we, you know, we are working there, and you may have heard the, the Queensland government commit to sort of being part of that project with 100% offtake of the energy and a sort of 50% commitment on the equity of the, the actual assets. So really exciting, um, and it's great to have that project there. Um, Maybe one thing I can share on this podcast too, we, we didn't talk about it on launch, but uh, the second project we hope to be in financial close in 2024 is Carmody Hill Wind Farm in, in South Australia. Uh, that uh, That's still under development, but that's something we couldn't talk about at the time, but it's probably nice to share with you and David today. Um, and if we think more broadly, they're probably the two projects that 
we'll reach financial close in 2024. And then we, you know, they're sort of our mid to late stage pre-construction development projects. And yeah, you're right. We've got about 2.4 gigawatt of projects in WA with a development partner there called Green Wind Renewables. Um, and there's four projects there that we're working on, but they're very early stage, Giles. Um, it's something we're super excited to have in the, the portfolio to get going. And the other projects, which are, I won't mention today, but they're, they're sort of spread across Tasmania, South Australia and Victoria as well, so uh, New South Wales. So, Okay, well, I'm just kind of, I'll come back to the South Australian project later on. I'm, I'm fascinated by this, um, the Boulder Creek one, and the fact that um, they, um, so the, the state government is one of the energy entities that's got a 50% equity stake in it, because this seems to, be the, seems to be the path we're going down now, is having these sort of bilateral deals with government, offtake agreements and equity stakes. We've seen that in an announcement today with a big battery in Victoria with the newly reconstructed state energy corp um, corporation. Can you tell us a bit more about that Boulder Creek and, and why that seems to make sense as a model going forward? Yeah, I don't. I won't probably speak, Giles, on behalf of the Queensland government and their plans. But what I what I will say, you know, we're a new business. We we, we get there's different jurisdictional requirements to deploy renewables across Australia, um, and, and we're going to be sort of fairly flexible and partner with those different jurisdictions to make sure ultimately over the long term, long term, those renewable targets are delivered on. So, Lachlan, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about the history on Boulder Creek. Yeah, like I think that is. Of clear recognition that the um, that the state-owned generators um, there are going through a uh, a transition um, that the the project that we had um, could be um, I guess part of a part of a solution for uh, for CS Energy as uh, as it looks to decarbonise its its portfolio and um, as as Chad said we've got to take a pretty pragmatic view as to the the conditions of the the uh, the jurisdiction and state policy and uh, and and have found um, CS to be uh, a, a very positive partner in in that regard. So I think think there's there's sort of um, a degree of flexibility in terms of the the approach and a recognition that the different states all find themselves in in different circumstances and uh, and as a, a developer of um, renewable energy projects uh, across the, the the nation, as Chad described, I think um, we, we expect all our energy to take a, a relatively um, pragmatic approach there. Uh, Lachlan, I certainly want to talk some more about current uh, conditions in wind development, uh, but I am very interested uh, to understand more about the overall thrust of Macquarie Capital Management, and very small disclosure, I've got a daughter that works at Macquarie, um, uh, to understand, firstly, could you talk a little bit more about um, how big the total business is from Macquarie's perspective, that is to say, how much capital is deployed and where are you funding that capital from? Is it via uh, trusts that take are you sort of like uh, marshalling the money or could you just explain a little bit about the, the broader broader renewable energy business in Macquarie Asset Management? Yes, certainly. Look, we've um, we went out to the market um, would be back at the end of uh, the end of uh, 2022 the, um, the transition sorry, 2021, the transition of the, um, the, the green investment group out of Macquarie Capital and into Macquarie Asset Management, the the intention there was to um, a 
be able to uh, increase the amount of funding available to, to support the ongoing growth of the business and ultimately the, I guess, the, the needs of the energy transition um, globally as, the, as the, um, the, the amount of investment required um, continues to, to grow and scale. And also, I think, to, to be able to connect uh, a growing interest from the, the Macquarie asset management client base. So these are institutional investors, whether they're um, superannuation funds, pension funds, private wealth managers, sovereigns, um, the Macquarie asset management manages capital on, on their behalf um, and invests that in a, a range of different strategies. But there, there was a, a growing interest in the energy transition as a particular area of focus. Uh, Macquarie Asset Management has uh, had a, a, a couple of um, dedicated funds, largely um, largely focused in in Europe, when um, the Green Investment Group moved across. Um, and since that time, um, we've, uh, we've we've been out looking at um, raising additional capital. I can't because we're in the middle of that process. I can't comment on any specific um, specific funds. Um, but needless to say, the overall strategy is to establish funds that um, will support um, a range of different strategies uh, in the energy transition on a global level on a long-term basis as a long-term investor. And that's a really important, I guess, uh, change in terms of uh, the nature of the capital we work with and the investment focus we bring to uh, supporting and investing in these different platform businesses or, or new businesses that we, we acquire over time. Yeah, and so just briefly, the intention is uh, to de to develop and then possibly own longer term, or, or possibly to uh, to sell on when it's mature. And this that will bring me onto the uh, question of the cost of capital that I want to talk about. But just generally, I'd like to under tell our listeners a little tiny bit about the the the, the ownership strategy. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it is very much a long-term ownership strategy, and particularly in in um, what we describe as the the core renewable space. That sort of the wind, wind, solar, and integrated storage. Um, we we certainly see that as very much a a, a scale uh, opportunity, um, and and one where ultimately um, all of the energy markets globally are transitioning towards that being um, the, the predominant or, or the only form of, uh, form of generation. So we want to be, have businesses and capital set up to participate in that over a, over a long-term basis and ultimately be, be building effectively the utilities of the, of the future um, within, within the portfolio. And uh, this, it just takes me back to 30 years of uh, looking at Macquarie transactions and I'm, I want to try and avoid the history of toll roads and airports and stuff because I would like to just ask about current conditions. I mean, we, I've seen that both assets, the actual capital costs have gone up, but also the cost of capital. Could you just talk uh, as one of the preeminent people who understand cost of capital uh, about how it's moved over the last bit and what in, uh, investor expectations are? You know, is there any appetite for risk or do you have to have everything 
turned into you know infrastructure style returns cost of debt plus plus a tiny bit uh just talk to me a little bit about that stuff yeah just a, a couple of high level observations clearly we've been through a a cycle over the last couple of years where where rate in, interest rates have have gone up, and that's that's definitely a, a contributor to the overall cost of capital of uh, funding uh, a lot of these um, uh, a lot of these projects. Um, the the dynamics around uh, around the cost of capital from from equity providers is is probably is probably a little bit more nuanced because um, there's there's existing funds out there that have been raised under uh, under a current uh, under a, a mandate and are looking to deploy that capital in line with that mandate. Um, I think there's also a lot of uh, a lot of um, competition from uh, different investors to have gained exposure to to uh, to renewable energy. So I think those those uh, sort of factors tend to have, uh, have um, stabilised. Um, returns maybe where where a couple of years ago we might have seen them seen returns uh, returns coming down. So, in terms of sort of what does the what does the picture look like going forward? Um, I, I think we we remain very positive about the um, that the appetite of uh, of investors um, to uh, to support this strategy. Um, there's clearly uh, a huge amount. Ahead of us in in the energy transition, um, and we can see um, a range of different opportunities to participate in the the energy transition, and, and clearly um, the 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 strategy that uh, Aura Energy has um, is uh, is one we think is uh, is very uh, is very scalable, and uh, maybe maybe just to talk a little bit about the the actual. Sort of uh, project costs side of things. I might hand over to Chad to give you a flavor. Yeah, I, I was going to ask exactly about that, um, uh, but it is interesting because, as you say, it's a global business, and Macquarie has a global perspective and is Australian institution that can compete with the likes of Brookfield and uh, Ontario Teachers, and no doubt some of the other big global uh, institutions that are out there that are uh, and developing operational expertise. Uh, and you know, sourcing uh, wind turbines. Anyway, I could talk about it all day long. But what are current conditions? Uh, let me uh, put some numbers out there. I've been hearing between two and a half and three million dollars uh, a megawatt for wind uh, fully developed. Uh, balance of system costs have gone up, uh, even if uh, Vestas turbine price hasn't changed in 18 months. Um, and and uh, the cost of capital's gone up. So that uh, I hate that the numbers I've been hearing for PPA prices. Uh, uh, make me a bit nervous. What's the story? So I'll, I'll just I'll start in, in terms of the, the macro, and then and then Chad can give you a, a read on on um, what Paul is saying in um, some of the projects we're working on. But like at, at a macro level, um, I, I think you're you're right that both supply chain um, factors, inflationary costs around labour, um, FX. And interest rates have all have all come to bear, not just in Australia, but 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 globally, in um, in terms of uh, the the cost of developing uh, and constructing new projects. We've you, we've seen that sort of publicly play out 
in uh, things like the offshore wind auctions in in the UK, I think what we're we're seeing is um, a some of those factors um, stabilising. So we've sort of been through a period of change. We're starting to see that some of those factors uh, are uh, are stabilising, and we're, we're also seeing the market respond. And indeed, in the UK, we, we saw the government there um, respond and increase. The, uh, the the pricing in in response to that, and I think we we're, we're seeing some uh, some similar things here in here in Australia. Um, there's uh, uh, the, these things always take a little bit of time to feed through the system, but we've we've certainly seen the, the the market go through these these patterns of change before. Yeah, and that, and, and Dave, I agree with Lloyd Lockland said. I think the quote the megawatts probably probably thereabouts, as you say, um, it, it's probably well known globally and also locally. But the market is responding in the conversations we're having, um, and I think people are genuinely taking that longer term vision and view around things, and you know that commitment to decarbonise economies, to, to to introduce renewables into into the system. Um, people are definitely stepping back and, and seeing that opportunity over the long term. Um, I think the Part of that challenge is also Australia building that market capability and capacity capacity over the long term. So I think that's why, you know, when you think about that, that having a pipeline and a partnership um, which is diversified, um, it's probably reason probably I took the role, David, and to be quietly honest with you, when I talked to Lachlan and the Macquarie team initially about this, um, seeing their shift in strategy, seeing their, their desire to, to invest and be in it over the long term um, was super exciting to me. And, and probably the thing I often saw from Macquarie was strong access to capital and, and, and connecting that capital with the asset opportunity, but just seeing the operating capability within the green investment team globally. Um, when you think about they operate in 25 plus markets, they've sort of got circa 90 to 100 gigawatts in their portfolio under development. Um, having a local entity uh, partner with Australia and Australians on this journey, but having that capability globally to, to sort of shift through price spikes or market disjunctions at any point to take a long-term view, I found really super exciting and probably opened my eyes to, to what we could do, um, partnering with Macquarie Green Investment and All Our Energy into the market we have. Mm. I'm just wondering, Ted, if you can just um, tell us a bit more about the um, use of portfolio strategy. Um, one, I'm kind of interested in how much solar you will see would fit into this um, in strategy, because I think we, we mostly hear about wind, but maybe there's some of the undefined projects. I'm kind of also interested to know what you actually sort of mean by integrated storage, because you've got ECU, which does standalone storage. So you're thinking in terms of battery storage differently, in terms of sort of marrying wind and solar plants with storage behind the meter, making it more of a dispatchable product. Um, or a firm product that could be sold to industrial customers or, or whatever. What's your thinking on this? Yeah, yeah. the short answer on that was yes, with the batteries. You know, EQ is very much a standalone sort of battery system, and Lachlan can talk about that strategy a little bit more, but we're talking about integrated sort of behind the meter, co-located with the wind or solar. Um, when we think about the, the all the business, um, I think that diversification strategy is really important, and, and we're sort of a week or two in to this journey, Giles and David, but... That technology being onshore wind and solar with the option of integrating batteries is really important. Um, Carmody's Hill Wind Farm is, is, is one project um, that we will look to see whether a battery solution integrated with that wind farm makes sense. Um, so we'll be diversified across technologies as we talked about. We'll talk to geographies as well. Um, and that's why we saw the WA market important and then across different project life cycles from so that early, mid to late stage. Uh, the, the portfolio, you're right, is, is heavily sort of the, the nine projects. There, there's one solar 
project in there, um, but they're, they're mostly geared to wind. Um, we're still working our way through that. Um, it's interesting as the conversations evolved over the last week or two with um, the, the team, Lachlan and the team and, and my team as it's built out, that, that 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 sort of balance of what is the right balance of wind and solar is certainly coming to the surface and also what do customers want. Um, some of the customers we're talking to see with particularly you know industrial and commercial customers wanting more solar in their portfolio. So we'll say flexible to that. Um, and, and now we can actually talk to the market with the capability we've built in the team, which has a lot of sort of history in, in renewables in Australia. Um, I, th- I think we'll sort of firm that up over the next sort of quarter a little bit more into our shareholder. So, so, so this, this, the storage, integrated storage, I mean, how much, I mean, could you tell us a bit more about the, um, this project in, in South Australia? I mean, what sort of, sort of capacity might it have for, for wind and what sort of battery would you, would you sort of put with that? Um, I'm kind of interested because a lot of people are moving towards this. I'm, I still don't quite understand what the model tells us or what, what, what the ideal sort of combination is and because it depends about costs and it depends about what you're actually getting for that um, for that other added capacity and, um, and, and the firmness. Yeah, so the, the Calmies Hill wind farm sort of circa 250 megawatt wind farm um, 3840 turbines sort of north of Adelaide um, and where you know the battery opportunity there is one to, to you know there's a, there's a regulation regulatory requirement in terms of system strength and and connectivity into the market um, but we that's really in design stage so we haven't really landed on that as a, a formal solution but we're certainly progressing aggressively with um, getting this wind farm through to financial close through 2024 and then into construction in 2025. Okay, so it's more of a regulatory requirement then that's that's, that's pushing this battery because that's it's, the one in the one in South Australia, yes. Yeah. At the moment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell us about Western Australia because that's really interesting too. I mean, you've got quite a big potential portfolio there, and Western Australia is fascinating because it's kind of like it was the it was the laggard of all the states uh, for many many years. They didn't want to put any new wind and solar farms, and they didn't, and they suddenly had this sort of moment of dawning. Um, you know, about a year or so, a year and a half ago, when they suddenly realised that all their manufacturers and all their miners wanted um, clean green electricity. So now they've actually just sort of put the put the pedal to the floor and um, and going gangbusters. So you're kind of seeing opportunities in this sort of massive push to sort of you know of of a huge amount of new capacity that they're looking to have on on the Swiss for you know um, in industrial consumption, I presume. Yeah, exactly, Giles. And I think you've sort of hit the, the nail on the head there. Like what you know, when when you come on board and you look at the market in WA and 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 what some of the the big load are trying to do, what the state's objectives are, it's the right market to be in right now. Um, so we so we saw that opportunity developing from a market perspective. We also were approached by a local developer partner there who Green Wind Renewables have had history with the Macquarie team more broadly. So. You know, there's nothing like being in a market and having people on the ground who understand that market. So there was a really nice fit, I think, there from a relationship perspective. And they've got a, a number of projects we've chosen to take 70% equity in, in, in four of those projects. Um, they're diversified in WA, so it's not one big project. There's sort of four sort of circa 600 megawatts projects if you get to the 2.4 gigawatts. Um, there's two in the north of the Swiss and one in the east and, and one in the south. So... Uh, but they're early stage and there's some wind data available, there's land options being worked through. But uh, I think it's a great part of all the story now to be in that market. If we want to be a diversified renewables business over the long term, we need to operate in all markets. So 
And, and we've been welcomed with open arms. I think, you know, part of that story, and, and Lachlan can talk to this more than I, but uh, Macquarie has had a long-term interest in the, the WA state with renewables. So I think now seeing um, Macquarie with all their energy and operating capability locally, there hasn't been many conversations that haven't welcomed us in to what that state's trying to achieve. And we genuinely want to partner with that state to deliver their renewable vision. But Lachlan, you, you've got that history with WA and Macquarie. Yeah, well, look, we'd, we'd certainly, um, back in the, the Macquarie capital days, done a, a lot of advisory work with uh, with Synergy. So um, we're involved in, in putting together um, bright energy investments and uh, financing a number of projects that bright energy invested. So I had a, a good understanding of the, the market dynamics, um, a number of um, local relationships over there, and even before that, um, earlier in our history in investing in uh, development of renewable energy, we're involved in the development of uh, the Mumbita, um wind farm. So, yeah, long long history in renewables in, in WA. And I think, to your point, Charles, one of the things that attracted us was actually that industrial decarbonisation thematic. It's something that we've, we've obviously focused on globally, working with... Um, with the commercial and industrial customer market, it's been a feature of the, the, the business here in Australia. But things like the, the relationship we've had with uh, players like Norse Kidro, who've uh, we, we've worked with in Sweden and Brazil now, and uh, sort of seen that that uh, expansion of um, the decarbonisation story um, with uh, some of the materials producers. Um, Hopefully, they could work something at Tomago. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, we, we can see that playing out here. And obviously, they're, they're big decisions that those, uh, those sort of parties need to, uh, need to make. But um, if, if there's somewhere where that's really going to play out quite quickly, I think it's, it's Western Australia. So, of course, the capacity investment scheme's been uh, all the uh, talk for a little while. And, of course, and the details, you, you guys probably know far more about it than, than us humble uh, analysts do. But... Uh, it seems to me like a big scheme when you're talking about like 250 megawatt projects uh, over here and I'm seeing something like seven, eight gigawatts a year uh, being auctioned off one way or another over the next few years. I mean, are you guys going to be in a position to, to play in that in a, in a significant way? Do you think... Um, what do you think? I mean, what skills are you going to bring to it uh, in terms... You, you, you Have you really got enough projects to actually... You know, I guess the people with a list of projects that are going through an EIS in New South Wales or some equivalent process and can be developed relatively quickly if everyone wanted them to, that's where you want to be, isn't it? Uh, certainly we, we um, can see the, 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 the government ambition in this space and um, the, the recent announcement on the, the capacity investment scheme only sort of underlines... Um, their their commitment to that. Um, I think when Chad and I had our, our first discussion about uh, Chad coming on board, um, I, it was very clear to, to put quick to point out that the, the portfolio that the business will, would start with um, is only that it's a starting point right. rather than rather than an end point for for this business. So um, certainly um, we're keen to see. Um, the business continue to grow from there in line with uh, both the, the opportunity and the need that we see 
in uh, in the market. Similarly, there's been, uh, uh, you know, and I, I guess this is calling for speculation and comment that you may not be comfortable with, but um, the, 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 the role of the Gentailers has become very topical with the uh, what Brookfield, say, proposes to do in the case of Origin as compared with what the Gentailers have actually done in the past few years, which is nothing, in my words. Uh, and the, uh, if you guys become big developers, uh, as, say, CWP was or something like that, uh, I mean, do you end up having to sell to the, to the Gentailers? I, I just don't quite understand how that relationship's going to go over in the future, given the history that uh, generators and retailers tend to want to get together at the end of the day. So, I'll, look, I'll make some some observations there, and uh, Chad, no doubt, will have some others. Um, there's lots of there, there's multiple routes to to market um, in uh, in Australia, and that's that's actually one of the the, the great things about uh, being in a uh, a relatively liberalised um, energy market um, is that we've seen the Gentailers participate, states participate, um, commercial and industrial customers uh, participate, and um, and and obviously now there's some some or that there's uh, foreshadowed um, further instruments that the that the um, federal government will introduce through the the capacity investment scheme. So. I think that that diversification of uh, routes to market, if you like, is is helpful in supporting different opportunities at uh, at different points in time. Um, that so from from our perspective, um, I don't think any any uh, any one of those uh, avenues is is going to going to dissipate there, there's multiple stakeholders in this in this industry from an offtake perspective and and I hope the the, the, the all of business is uh, is there to to, uh, to as Chad described ultimately meet the meet the customer need whether that's yeah. that's government from a policy objective or a gen tailor in terms of uh, decarbonizing its portfolio. Or, uh, or or commercial and industrial customers who are looking to address. But, but I mean, commercial and industrial customers with saving your, your Tomagos that could, if they wanted, I suppose, operate outside of a retailer, but never have historically. Um, in the end, you know, the Gentailers are 65, 70% of the volume in the market. You can't be a big player without... Uh, dealing with them can you in the long term you can do one deal but you can't do five or ten deals i'm not sure i'm not sure that i'd i'd pretend to to sort of speculate as to where 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 sort of industry structure goes other than um what we've what we've uh, set up and uh, invested in in all our energy is a business that's really focused on creating New green energy assets, and that's that's obviously its its core capability, um, and uh, that uh, I think we've we've seen in many markets, uh, and uh, not just talking in an Australian context, but we've seen in many markets that um, that ability to uh, to to develop and deliver assets is something that the, the market values, and whether that's like what whether that's 
the, the utilities in that market or, uh, or, or government or others, then, um, th- then we think that's that biz- a business with that, that characteristic. Okay, okay. Of value yeah. creation for the markets going forward. I get it. I'll just ask one more question, hand back to Giles. And you talked about your capability. Uh, you know, I used to ask about comparative advantage and I was until I was told no one has any to start with to develop it. Uh, but what would you say, are you planning to develop like uh, vertical supply chain capabilities to have like, you know, so many turbines on order every year to become experts at uh, managing wind farms or managing the contracts for wind farm maintenance uh, to get expert at, at buying sites. I mean, where do you expect the, the skills that let you grind out a, a few more basis points actually come from in this industry? Yeah, it's a good, good question, David. But uh, I think if I, if I sit back and think about where we see some of our advantages, I think it is being a startup with those seed assets. And, and as I said, they're, they're diversified. There's nine of them and we've got two sort of uh, uh, into financial close in 2024. Um, we have spent the last six or seven months, I uh, came on board in March and built a really strong operating capability locally. So I think that's also important to recognise the, the people when I look at my leadership team. Um, and I think Giles, you quoted some of the names in your Renew Economy article. Um, There's sort of circa 60 or 70 years experience of operating capability in energy and renewables in Australia. So I think that gives an advantage. And then I, I sort of referenced it earlier too, David, that global capability that Macquarie Asset Management Green Investment brings, um, at, whether it's supply chains, whether it's technology advancements and that scale, there's not many many issues or many problems I can't pick up the phone either directly with Lachlan or overseas and help this business be successful and grow. And being headed out of Australia, I think is increasingly important. So I find that super exciting but also taking that long-term diversified view. So we're going to be good asset owners over the long term. We're going to deploy at scale, um, be a market leader with projects, deploy at scale and operate those assets as efficiently as possible um, for the long term and eke out value there. But we're also going to respond to the customer needs. Now, whether we start off with Boulder Creek and that has an offtake agreement with a government-owned entity in Queensland, sort of a one-for-one relationship, or it moves into um, supplying other customers differently, uh, as a portfolio retail position um, in a green energy or green IPP sense, um, we'll let that evolve as time as we build this business and build this strategy. Uh, look, I've already got one other question. Um, I'll just intrigue you. You mentioned, I think, Chad, um, about you know some of your industrial companies want solar. I've um, got a preference for solar, um, and yet that seems to be a minor part of your portfolio at the moment. I'm just wondering why that is that they want solar. Is it simply because most of them are operating during the day and that's when they want to um, do it, or they've just got some sort of philosophical... Um, attachment to it. Yeah, that's a great. It's a great question, Giles. I thought you might have the answer for me because we just had a conversation before this around that, and uh, I think why have I only got one solar project in the seeded assets? Because that's what I'm inheriting. Um, uh, so, so, so everyone sort of wants wind, but getting wind away at the moment, there's not those projects. So, you know, some of the the, the shift to solar is what we were just talking about previously. So, I don't know. You got interested in your views, but I think that sort of load that CNI load during the day. Um, we're seeing a nice balance as an offtake to other um, things as, as customers decarbonise. Solar's a lot cheaper at the moment, frankly, uh, a lot more available, and it looks just as yep. good on the balance sheet. Uh, on, on, on the annual report cover, I mean. Yeah. Oh, and, and from a social licence perspective, probably easy to build and, as you said, David, get away. 
Yeah, well, well uh, that could lead us into another deep conversation. But look, I think we've taken up enough of everyone's time at the moment. So look, um, Chad and Lachlan, thank you very much for um, joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Thanks, Giles. Thanks, David. And just one question for me. Do you like the name? I was looking it up, uh, actually. It means a dwelling. Does it mean dwelling or something like that? I, I, I couldn't. Oh, we, we, we like to think congregation and, and courtyard partnership, getting people together. So we're here for the long term for Australian Australians and, and New Zealanders to help them on this renewables transition. So we just like it. We like the colours. We like the feel of it. And uh, hopefully you get to see a lot more of it in the renewables future of Australia. It's the Latin, Latin equivalent maybe of the Agora, uh, uh, which is the, uh, you know, ancient, ancient Greek thing that Agori energy. But anyway, let's not talk yeah. about ancient history. Oh, no. Sorry. Now, now you sparked another question. Who thought of it and which marketing firm got paid a shitload of money um, to, to recommend it? Well, I can tell you is uh, we, we do have uh, do have form in uh, in developing new brands, uh, so uh, there's a, a very deliberative process towards. Uh, have you got a little machine in the corner of the office that comes up with names or something like that? Yeah, they're the they're the really creative people Macquarie have somewhere. <laughs> Shame David Bowie's not around. Thanks very much for joining the podcast. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. And that was uh, Chad Hymas from uh, Orla and uh, Lachlan Creswell from Macquarie. David, any sort of takeaways from that? I mean, look, it's um, it's a pretty interesting move by Macquarie into this space. Um, some interesting observations there from some of the major trends which are affecting um, the, um, the renewable energy market. I mean, I guess for me, it's kind of one of the things that... Um, you know, we had Chris Bowen's capacity investment scheme, which was announced a week ago. We'll maybe talk more about that later. But it's not really a shortage of capital that uh, we need to address, I suppose, because there seems to be plenty of it out there. No, there is a shortage of capital. Uh, no shortage of capital, I'm sorry. What there is is that we know what the shortage is of. Uh, there's a shortage of certainty and confidence at the, in the sense at the moment. And that's around the cost of projects, the ability to be connected and... Uh, and, and, your, and your ability to get social license and get it through the planning, they're the kind of obstacles right now. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of um, information coming up. Uh, within a few weeks, we'll have the next version of the... Um, 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 uh, Integrated system plan. Yes, and we'll also have a statement from Energy Co in New South Wales. So there's a lot of it, and we'll have the outcome of COP28, uh, as, you, as you were referring to. Uh, this week, of course, um, there was an announcement that we're probably not going to get to quite to 43%. And, of course, uh, reduction by 2030. And, of course, the 43% is, let's face it, an abs a fairly much a bullshit number anyway, uh, not with, with all due respect. I don't really care what the level is. I care how fast we're moving down. But we started from a very silly baseline, and most, a lot of that 43% is actually reduction in land use, uh, which many of us just think is... Uh, not the most reliable way to think about carbon reductions. No, well, that's right. Yes, and it was interesting actually with that uh, climate change authority statement and the um, and the state of the climate assessment by the department as well. Um, yes, forty three percent is probably not n nearly enough, but um, I think Chris Bowen and others would argue that it's probably about as much as we could achieve given the the, the ten year delay or sort of well, you know, the lost decade um, under the coalition government and. Um, I think his own assessment or his own department's assessment was that um, before the announcement of the um, capacity investment scheme expansion, basically we're heading towards 37% uh, 
um, because the renewable energy target was looking difficult to meet. Um, so that's now been ramped up at 42% um, with sort of added um, policies, which is you know the capacity investment scheme expansion plus also um, the expected fuel efficiency standards, which will be possibly be announced by the end of the year. It was interesting to see that the CCA was actually suggesting that um, we should be heading towards zero um, emissions for the fuel efficiency standard by 2040, which just basically means no fossil fuel cars to be sold. Um, the federal government balked at that. I don't think they can sort of bring themselves to say things like that right now. And also the CCA uh, recommended that Australia should ban all new gas connections. Um, and Chris Bowles is all saying that sort of decision is best left to the state. So that was kind of interesting. Look, his trouble uh, politically will be turning it all into a saleable political message, uh, you know, which normally has to be reduced to a, a, a very short slogan uh, along the lines of it's the economy stupid or whatever it, or whatever the slogan is, you know, keep turn back the boats, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there needs to be some slogan where all this policy uh, is directed if you want it to succeed politically. Uh, how, how about it's, it's, it's the livable planet, stupid? Yeah, something like that exactly, Giles. Uh, but, and, and, you know, you need a lot of determination to see your policy through. I, I, I think a, a lot of good work's been done in the term of this federal government, but uh, I'm not sure how strongly it's going to end up being prosecuted just yet. I, you know. Anyway, we, we, it's not our job really to talk about that. Uh, another thing that looks like being a flop at the moment is the uh, uh, EIG Brookfield bid for origin. Uh, that ha hasn't really got up. As a result, shareholders are going to miss out. Uh, I think the share price today was $8.20 compared with a bid of $9.50. You, you know, you're down 13%. Uh, um, and, but I actually, for me, that's uh, not been a massive origin shareholder. That's not the main point. The thing I really care about and the thing that I, the likes of Paul Keating, you know, who's really got a nerve talking about Canada uh, and, and what it does and as if Malaysia wasn't enough. He's now got to pick on the Canadians when, when he himself has been uh, working for, for Lazard, you know, and he's got an absolute vested interest in the whole thing. He's, uh, he's, taking, he's taking pop shot at private equity firms from his vantage point as advisor to Lazard. It's quite, uh, yes. However, um, the, the real point is, the real point, the point that I care about is it's all very well saying that Origin can do the same job as Brookfield. Uh, we all agree that it could do the same job, but it hasn't been doing that job any more than AGL or Energy Australia has. Over the last five years and longer, those three companies have done SFA, to use the vernacular, to really speed things up. Uh, and there's no real indication that they're going to do it after the bid, because to make it happen, they, they, Origin would have to basically give up all its shareholders, would have to give up all their dividends. And, and, they're, and they're not going to be happy doing that. And well, Origin hasn't actually got the projects. You know, it's just not set up to do it. Yeah, well, exactly right. I mean, and, and that's one of the problems. I mean, basically, the shareholders have shown that they actually want the dividends. That's what they want. Um, they don't actually want the green energy transition. That's no. sort of mouth words to say that. And um, greed has, um, has, has trumped um, climate here. I mean, look, I don't doubt that Brookfield is obviously trying to make a buck out of it, but they thought they could actually make a buck out of accelerating the green energy transition rather than slowing it, which seems to be everybody else's um, determination. And it's, it's remarkable that we're actually sort of seeing that not just in origin, we're seeing that with the big oil majors um, internationally who just realised they can make so much money from, you know, this sort of confected energy crisis um, that they're sort of continuing as long as they possibly can. We've seen that with the big car makers in the US. 
Um, and um, they're all just, you know, worried about their sort of short-term returns and the executives are worried about their short-term performance base bonuses and um, et cetera, et cetera. It's all a bit the sad. The good news is, Giles, the good news is the bad news. So the bad news is the good news. The bad news is that the, the, the climate change, uh, heat build-up in the oceans, global warming goes on unabated. The good news that comes from that is this, that uh, the science will w predominate. It may not predominate as fast as you and I would like, or even as fast as it needs to be to prevent a lot more warming than's needed. But in the end, uh, uh, human beings are rational and sensible and will do what is in the interests of survival. Uh, and and we will policy will continue to tighten. Along those lines, the biggest uh, difficulty we have with the onshore wind and solar side of things is getting the transmission built and the more you look at it the more i actually think that the transmission is going to get built despite uh, absolutely absurd second upper house inquiry in new south wales humelink's going to get built the new south rez connections are going to get built uh, uh, we, we think marinus link first side is going to get built transmission's going to get built in queensland uh, and as soon as the um, generators uh, can see the cost of that transmission that they will have to pay for, then we're going to get more big project announcements going on. I'm tempted to enter a uh, debate about um, human beings being rational, but I'm not going to. I am instead going to talk about the um, first investment by the State Energy Corporation of Victoria. Um, Co-investment with Equus Energy, which is an interesting outfit. They um, they used to be called Equus um, many times ago and built the Tail and Bend Solar Farm, which I think was the first in South Australia, and a bunch of other projects. Um, sold that, taken up by what's now known as Vena Energy, and much of the same executives have come back with big battery project plans. And the first one of these is actually in the outskirts of Melbourne. It's going to be 600 megawatts and 1600 megawatt hours. Interesting setup, David. It's sort of two two-hour batteries, 200 megawatts, and one four-hour battery of 200 megawatts, 800 megawatt hours, which will actually be um, half-owned and operated by the SEC. So, um, look, I'm not really too sure what to make of it. I mean, it's uh, pretty exciting that this new um, thing gets gets done. It's a really interesting first investment from the State Energy Corporation. Um, it spent a quarter of the billion dollars that's been given by the government to try and sort of uh, activate uh, four and a half gigawatts. The All the people were talking also about their co-investment in Queensland. It seems to be part of the game now. There's five gigawatts of batteries we're going to have when this thing's built, and I'm sure it's not the end of the announcements. The trouble is, it's relatively... Well, where's the, at the moment, if you look at the electricity prices and you forget about the fact that the batteries are actually getting a lot of revenue from FCAS, uh, Frequency Control Services, uh, if you actually look at the prices that they're being dispatched at, uh, they're actually above gas most of the time at the moment. So what I interpret from that is there's not enough batteries uh, to force the competition down, but guess what? The um, we're going to the, the amount of supply of batteries is growing very quickly, uh, and they are going to start competing with each other uh, in the near distant future, and with gas, and that's going to be one of the things that will contribute to bringing electricity prices down uh, because it's going to cut the evening peak. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, the fact that we can install five gigawatts of batteries and can't get any bloody wind done. Uh, tells you that uh, you know it's us. We wouldn't need the batteries so much if we were building the renewable energy. People are just doing the batteries because that's the easy thing to do.
Mm, yes, about the only thing that gets a lot of planning permission at the moment in some states. Um, we've used a lot of time, but I do want to mention the decision by um, the WA State Energy Minister, Bill Johnson, to um, bring an end to his career. He's stepping down as a Cabinet Minister from next week, or I think immediately, basically. It was the last day of Parliament in Western Australia, and says he will not contest the next election. He's 61, he's been in the job for 27 years, and he goes... That's long enough. Time to spend more time with the kids and the grandkids. But um, I've got to say, I think we need to pay some credit to um, Bill Johnson because Western Australia, as we mentioned earlier in the interview with Orla, um, it was just a complete laggard. I mean, I think I've told the story many times, but the previous, or well, not the his predecessor, but one of the um, um, coalition state energy ministers who opened Australia's first utility scale solar farm at Greenough River and said he hopes he never own, opens another one and he didn't. Um, um, Gavin Collier, I think was his name. Anyway, um, but look, Bill Johnson has sort of basically steward, stewarded a remarkable turnaround in the planning and the intentions um, of what I think is one of the world's most interesting grids. It's the biggest standalone grid in the world. Um, it's been largely dependent on coal and gas, and now it's just going absolutely gangbusters before wind, solar and storage, mainly because um, of that demand from the big miners and the big industries that sort of dominate the town of Perth. Yeah, no, well done to Bill Johnson. Uh, seeing the light over there, so to speak, and uh, and getting on with the job. I think the only other thing um, to mention, Giles, and... Uh, is um, what what do you think will come out of COP twenty eight? Got any forecasts? No, I don't. But I mean, the fact that there's a hundred thousand people there, and um, I think there's quite a lot, a lot of people sort of locked in the uh, the home team end. Um, hundred thousand people is what you can fit in Wembley Stadium, I think. And the home team tends to be is the uh, the fossil fuel dominated UAE. Look, they will come with a patchwork. It's it's going to be complicated. I've I've been to ten cops and swore after Paris I'd never go to another one. Um, they are fascinating really interesting and ultimately just so damn frustrating. Um, you get close you, or you seem like you're far away and you kind of get something to kind of save the day for the next time. It's basically a continuing kicking down the road. The problem is you've got 190 countries, you've got to get agreement for a lot of them. And right now we just have this extraordinary geopolitical situations. If you think about Ukraine and Israel and Palestine and um, China and some of the other ones, it's very hard to get all those people across the line not to mention the fossil fuel petrol states, um, UAE, Saudi Arabia. Um, some people would actually throw Australia in that because it's the third or fourth biggest exporter of fossil fuels. So what they come to agree on, I think some of the details they might land. The big question is, are they going to call for a phase out or a phase down of fossil fuels and how quickly will that happen? And I think you and I know the answer. It's If it does happen, it's not going to be quick enough. No, I'll be interested, nevertheless, to see what comments uh, China and India make. Um, as we know, China's the ever, ever uh, going paradox of putting in 230 gigawatts or something of solar this year or manufacturing. God knows where it's all going to end up and doing a fair bit of wind as well. And at the same time, it's rapidly growing its, uh, its coal capacity. Uh, India just uh, you know just doesn't seem to get it. Anyway, Giles, we'll be talking about that next week as well. So maybe it's time to thank our sponsors and uh, and our listeners. 
Yes, absolutely. So thanks everyone for listening. Do check out our other uh, podcasts, um, the um, Solar Insiders and some great interviews, as I mentioned, on the Switched On podcast, uh, which focuses on electrification. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, um, Evergen and Pylon. And uh, we'll be back again with another episode of Energy Insiders next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.